Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, September 1st. The Alberta government announcing a $13.2 billion surplus in this week's fiscal update. Will Albertans see any of the financial windfall? We talked about what the money means to the province with Moshe Lander, economics professor at Concordia University. Canadians have opened up their homes to support Ukrainians leaving their war-torn country. We talked with Barry Wright, who's generously opened his Okotoks home to Ukrainian newcomers about what it's like to be a host family. Cancer surgeries in Alberta now at nearly 115% of pre-pandemic volumes. So do we have the capacity to keep up? We pose that question to Dr. Lloyd Mack, medical lead for cancer surgery, Alberta and AHS. And with the arrival of meteorological fall, harvest season on Alberta farms is now underway. We talked about staying safe around slow moving farm equipment on rural Alberta roads with Lurie Williamson, CEO at Ag for Life. What does Alberta's $13.2 billion surplus mean for we regular everyday Albertans? Well, joining us with some insight is Moshe Lander, economics professor at Concordia University. Thanks for being with us once again, Moshe. Appreciate it. Hello. Do we have any indication as of yet on how this surplus will be used by the Alberta government? Well, it looks like a lot of it's going to go towards repaying debt, which is never a bad thing for the government. So I, I think the vast majority is is going through there. Uh, I think if Albertans were hoping to see maybe a $500 sort of Ralph Bucks, like a mm-hmm. Mo Money is going on in Saskatchewan, I don't envision that's going to happen. So that's probably the one area that most people wanted to see, but no. Really? You don't think we'll see any of that at all in terms of yeah, what we've seen in Saskatchewan, for example? No, because actually it's bad policy. So, um, you know, it, it's nice at uh, times like this when people are suffering from inflation, the, the thought that somehow the government would give us money to handle it. But the government is giving us money, right? We're, we're getting our electricity rebates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're uh, possibly going to get uh, natural gas rebates come October if the price of natural gas goes high enough. And for the last six months, give or take, we haven't been paying our provincial portion of gasoline tax uh, and so gasoline prices have been about maybe 10 cents, give or take, lower than they otherwise would have been. And when you're driving an SUV gas guzzling vehicle, that, that can add up to a sizable chunk. So we, we are getting it. It's just we're not getting that headline check direct deposited. Yeah, that's very true. It's a great reminder. You know, we've seen this before in Alberta, Moshe. This, this province has raked in the money from oil and gas, etc. And then we haven't. So do we think that maybe, you know, with the oil profits that are coming in now, or do we think we're our, our government is a little better able to handle it and, and save it for the future and do something good and progressive with it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, we've seen decades of this sort of bad behavior that when things go well for the economy uh, or for the government's budget, they just stick their head in the sand and, and, and say that, you know, good for us and uh, nothing needs to be done. Uh, you know, I, I guess with a, a new leader coming in the next little while, uh, maybe some things will change. You and I have spoken in the past about the idea of introducing a, a sales tax into the province, much as people wouldn't like it. Uh, it would actually help stabilize the the government's budget, and we wouldn't have these sorts of wild swings that are connected to oil prices, which themselves are not really connected to anything within government policy, right? It, it's war in Ukraine right now that's the big driver there. And so the, the government is heavily reliant on things outside their own control, and that's why we do see these violent swings in the the surplus to deficit to surplus again. But we know anytime any politician mentions a sales tax, that is political death and, and likely not expected to be even a debated coming up, is it? 
Well, we saw uh, Danielle Smith and Travis Taves basically insult each other with "you want a sales tax?" No, you want a sales tax. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's about as close as you can get to calling somebody a, a liberal, I guess, in this province, right? So, that's, so that's, true. Okay. Yeah. So, yep. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. No, I, I don't think it's coming anytime soon, but it is the correct thing economically. Now, Premier Kenny mentioned benefits of re-indexing taxes from inflation. Can you explain what he meant by that? Sure. So let's say that I charge you 10% income tax on any income over $50,000. Okay. Uh, if your income is going up uh, because of uh, inflation, then you're paying more in taxes merely because your income is going up because of inflation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're paying more in taxes, not really because of a higher productivity or anything like that. But what if I said this year you pay 10% of anything over 50000 but next year you're going to pay 10% uh, on anything you earn over $55,000. So now when your income goes up because of inflation, you're not necessarily paying more in taxes because the threshold at which you start paying 10% has gone up as well. So for the last few years, we haven't been doing that in the province, uh, and that's what they're referring to as this de-indexation. What the government has decided is, no, we're going to reintroduce that, which is good economics, in fact. Um, and what's going to happen then is that effectively, where you were paying, say, 10% on everything over 50, now you're paying 10% on everything over 55. And in a sense, you're kind of getting a bit of a tax reduction then, uh, because that extra $5,000 uh, isn't going to be subjected to that tax. I, I'm making up the numbers of fifty and fifty-five thousand. So just in case any listeners think that that's the way it works in Alberta, it's not exactly those numbers, but that's the idea to to understand it. So it should be popular with Albertans, but I don't think they explain that very well. Most people don't understand what it means. No, and and the fact is that you know the numbers that I'm making up here, fifty fifty-five thousand dollars. They're the the numbers that uh, where these thresholds kick in are are crazy numbers that you know like. $13,672. So when, when you change that threshold, um, you know, it's probably going to amount to maybe about three to $400 for the typical Albertan. But if you're being paid every two weeks, which most people receive their paycheck on that schedule, uh, you know, three, 400 bucks spread over 26 paychecks amounts to $10, $15 every two weeks. I mean, it, it's barely a cup of coffee a day, right? So it's, it's a sizable sum over the course of a year. Uh, but I think people would much rather have, say, $400 cash in hand, like Mo Money is, uh, than, than seeing, you know, a, a $10, $15 every couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to that $13.2 billion surplus, the Premier laying out policy about how it should be used. But, I mean, let's face it, we're in a UCP leadership race. We'll have a new Premier very soon. Are they likely to follow anything that Kenny has set out? Or is this an opportunity for someone to really, you know, make their mark? No, it, it is a chance that you can uh, un, undo what they're promising to do with the money. Um, don't forget, too, that all they're providing here is an updated forecast, right? So it's not that $13.2 billion has actually materialized, right? So it's not sitting in a government bank account right now with how do we spend this money. It's just they're saying that if what we're seeing continues until the end of the fiscal year, which is in uh, March of 2023, we anticipate that we will have generated $13 billion more in revenue than we've committed to in spending. So certainly something can happen in the next six months where you know a new premier can come along or global events can come along and, and totally disrupt those numbers. So we could be talking about uh, at the next quarterly update that the, the projected budget surplus could be even biz- bigger 
or it can disappear entirely, mm -hmm. right? So there's lots of room for things to go wrong between now and March. All that we're seeing is that this is what they're committed to doing with that surplus once it materializes. We've got a texter who agrees with you. We borrowed money to run the government, they say, over the past few years, so let's pay off the debt. No more government projects. Once we're paid off, maybe lower the taxes. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the government does with this windfall and, and how long it lasts. Appreciate your time, as always, this morning. Thanks for joining us. Anytime. Thank you. Moshe Lander, economics professor at Concordia University. According to the federal government, more than 55,000 Ukrainians arrived in Canada just in the time frame between January 1st and June 26th. Canadians have opened up their homes and their hearts to support them leaving their war-torn country. This morning, we're joined by Barry Wright, who has generously opened up his Okotoks home to Ukrainian newcomers. Thank you so much for being with us this morning, Barry. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Excellent. What made you decide to support Ukrainian refugees and open up your home and, and have people come and stay with you? Well, it just seemed like the, the right thing to do since, uh, you know, we have it so well here in Canada. But, uh, you know, these people were under uh, major duress. How many Ukrainians are you hosting currently? How many of you had sort of passed through? Are you, are you kind of just giving them, giving them a helping hand as you set them up for, for future? Well, basically what we were asked to do is um, host a family. So we had uh, a mom, dad, and a daughter uh, who were staying with us. And basically, they're very independent. Um, basically, we just provided a, a spare room and spare bathroom. And uh, they looked after all the rest of their, their needs. Um, we, you know, as we got to know them, we, we shared a few meals and stuff together. But, um, you know, basically they were very much uh, independent and just uh, used our kitchen. <laughs> That's awesome. But I, I imagine there must be a lot of challenges as they come to a new country. So what have you heard from your guests about the problems, the issues, the, you know, a bit of a hardship once they get out of Ukraine, obviously, and come to Canada? What, what do they face here? Well, uh, you know, there's obviously the challenge of having to get transportation since, you know, Calgary Okotoks uh, is pretty much still car dependent. And so they have to have cars. They have to find a place to live uh, permanently or, you know, outside of uh, a host family. And, of course, then they have to find employment as well. And, you know, I think for for some of them, it's um, uh, very difficult since they're leaving their family in, in the Ukraine and, and, you know, they don't know what's going to happen to them. Uh, just a, a bit of a humorous story. Uh, the little girl that uh, was staying with us here, uh, they're from the Donetsk region of the Ukraine. So it's the second time they've been bombed out of their uh, house by Putin. And um, when she was... Um, part of the journey to Canada involved a, a rail trip and so she was you know at seven years old was using Duolingo and because her you know the region of the Ukraine that they're from they speak Russian and so she was listening to Duolingo with a Russian um, homepage on it and so they were in the train and you know all of the the words were coming out were you know i am russian i am from russia and you know, dad's trying to calm her down because you know russians aren't that popular in europe at the moment and so you know that was a 
we found kind of an amusing little story. A challenge for sure. You know, and, and you, you are helping out through an organization, I understand, called Refugees Housed Here. So would you say there were challenges for you as a billet family, or does the good outweigh any possibility of bad? Oh, there really weren't any challenges. I mean, they're absolutely delightful people that we hosted. Um, you know, their their English was very good. Uh, and, yeah, we very much enjoyed their uh, getting to know them. And I think we'll probably continue that friendship uh, going forward. Love it. What, now, what, what was the process when you, when you, you know, joined forces with refugees housed here? How, how do they choose and, and how do they decide what, you know, who's going to be a host family or not? <laughs> Well, I think for us, uh, it was, you've got room for three people. Well, we'd actually originally said two, um, and they said, how about three? Because uh, of the, the little girl, and we said, yeah, that's fine if they don't mind sharing the room. And uh, that was that was fine. And um, then they said, well, can you take them in like a couple of days? Because they're landing here and they have, you know, we don't have any place for them to go immediately. And so, yeah, we ended up with them very quickly. <laughs> what would you say to other folks who might be listening and thinking, you know, oh, I don't know, is this an option for me? What would you say to them who might, you know, be considering opening up their homes? Yeah, I just think that if uh, if people have a spare room, uh, it's a great way to um, help people uh, and, you know, and develop some really good friendships with uh, with people who are new to Canada. And it doesn't have to be a long time, right? It can be a very short time, but just such an incredible helping hand. Exactly. Yeah, I think this family just uh, left last night, actually, as, as they got their keys to their new apartment. So they were with us for just about a month. And, um, you know, we've been asked to host another family, and we're going to do that, too. Good for you, Barry. Appreciate you uh, telling your story this morning. Thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Barry Wright. Down in Okotoks, opening up his home to Ukrainian newcomers. And the uh, the group, the organization that his family went through, again, is refugeeshousedhere.ca. Great website. They connect refugee families with Albertans willing to provide temporary accommodations. So it's not necessarily a long time, but boy, what a step up for these folks who are coming from Ukraine uh, and facing the situation that they are in that country and, and coming here. And we show them the hospitality of, of this great province. Cancer surgeries in Alberta now at nearly 115% of pre-pandemic levels. Do we have the capacity to keep it up, though? To talk about it, we're joined by Dr. Lloyd Mack, Medical Lead for Cancer Surgery Alberta at AHS. Good morning, doctor. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Well, good morning. Uh, so where are we at? Uh, we were so behind due to the pandemic, correct? Is that what really put the cancer surgery sort of on the back burner, as it were? Uh to be, to be honest, we've actually been able to prioritize cancer surgery even during the pandemic. So uh, this is just a continued improvement uh, from pre-pandemic levels. That's good to know because we had heard a lot about that through the past couple of years that people, you know, were suffering. The surgeries had been postponed, surgeries had been cancelled, but for the most part, cancer surgeries did go ahead through the pandemic? Yeah, that's that's correct. So you're you're quite right that other surgery types were postponed, but throughout the pandemic, we tried to prioritize cancer surgery, um, knowing what people are going through and trying to uh, 
uh, keep them on their journey to recovery. Wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about the increase then in cancer surgeries that we're seeing for 115% now of pre-pandemic levels. Why so? Yeah, so I think uh, in the last year, we've had 22,500 cancer procedures done in Alberta compared to about 20,000 pre-pandemic. And probably the, the most common reason is that our population continues to increase and our population is aging. And so just the, the sheer numbers has led to an increased diagnosis of cancer as well. Doctor, do Alberta hospitals have the capacity to keep this up? I mean, we've heard so much through the pandemic and frankly beyond too that we don't have enough doctors and nurses. What about when it comes to cancer in particular? Yeah, I th- my, my hope, of course, is that we're going to continue to prioritize this area. And one of that is the Alberta Surgical Initiative, which is uh, uh, trying to prioritize surgeries in general, uh, making sure that Albertans have timely access and uh, increasing uh, OR access uh, for patients. How is uh, our new cancer hospital shaping up? Well, when are we supposed to be opening the doors there? It's, it's getting close. I don't know if you've gone by. It's, it's an impressive building. We're, we're starting tours uh, for, for physicians, but hopefully next uh, year, so probably next summer, uh, we'll start to have some facilities working there. What, do you court doctors from across the country and beyond then for, for this particular hospital? Uh, absolutely. I think the, the, the departments of oncology and departments of surgeries have been able to recruit physicians from, uh, from all over Canada. And this will be one area that can uh, really be a feather in our cap in terms of people wanting to work there. That's great news. Now, Doctor, we heard yesterday uh, certainly seeing some money coming into the province with the high energy oil and gas prices, etc. Uh, is there any request out for more of that to flow towards, uh, you know, cancer, cancer um, surgeries, but also just the, the uh, increase in looking for treatments, etc. for cancer? Yeah, I, I believe that's the case. I mean, to be fair, I think a lot of this has been prioritized already mm-hmm. in terms of the Alberta Surgical Initiative. Uh, which is trying to get timely access uh, for patients um, by increasing OR facilities across the province, including uh, here in Calgary. Well, we thank you for what you do, and thanks for the update this morning. Appreciate it. Well, take care. Appreciate it. Dr. Lloyd Mack, medical lead for cancer surgery here in Alberta at Alberta Health Services. Meteorological fall is here, and that means it's harvest season on Alberta farms. Joining us to talk about how to stay safe around slow-moving equipment on rural roads is Lurie Williamson, CEO at Ag for Life. Good morning, Lurie. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So is this the time now we'll start to see it a lot more, the farm equipment out there as the, the farmers head into the fields? Yeah, it's a busy time, of course, with September. Um, you know, we're, we're excited to see all the farm equipment, <clears throat> excuse me, moving on the highways. And for sure, it, it's, a, it's a great time to remind all of us as motorists to slow down and be very cautious. Okay, what do we need to know? We see a tractor maybe driving on a rural road. They're usually, you know, as much off to the shoulder as they can be, but it's harvest season. They're going to be out there. What do we need to know and be aware of? So the, the biggest thing that uh, we sort of promote at Ag for Life is be patient. Uh, and a lot of us, uh, you know, when we're out moving around on the highways, we're, we're, we're headed somewhere, we're on a mission. Um, but really, you know, it's a short period of time that these uh, farmers are out moving their equipment. So we do ask that, uh, you know, people be very patient. Uh, farm equipment is large. Uh, it doesn't move very fast. You know, it's on average, it'll go about 30 to 40 kilometers an hour. 
so we need to be aware of that. You know, as you're approaching it, slow down. There's lots and lots of blind spots in those pieces of equipment. So just because you can see the driver does not mean that the driver can see you. So again, stay back. You know, maybe 50 feet is, is sort of a good, um, good distance to judge yourself with. And another important point is, you know, farmers, they, they don't, they're not out starting to, you know, their day thinking, how can I go out and annoy everyone on the highways? <laughs> right? They're out trying to get to the fields. Uh, again, it's harvest season. This is when they're out making foods for, uh, for all of us in Alberta. So be patient and just slow down. Are there any rules? I don't even know the answer to this. Are there rules? I mean, we know we have to slow down around emergency equipment, tow trucks, et cetera. Is there any rule around slowing your speed near a piece of farm equipment? It really comes around that, um, you know, slow moving vehicles, uh, you know, sort of that best practice on the highways where, you know, uh, you're, you're approaching a slow moving vehicle, slow down, proceed with caution. Um, there isn't, you know, farmers or, or, or um, you know, drivers of these large pieces of equipment, they're not obligated to pull over and let you pass. And I think some people think that, you know, hurry up, move over, let me, let me pass. It's really a courtesy for them to do that. So, um, you know, it's, it, we're sharing the road. We know that it's, you know, it's a very busy time uh, in the next couple of months. So, you know, just again, turn on your favorite radio, uh, <laughs> listen to a song, slow down. It's not, it's not really that long. It feels like a long time when you're in that big line of traffic, yeah. but, you know, take a deep breath and just enjoy your drive. Uh, morning radio people get up very early, but I think farmers probably get up even earlier. So are there specific sort of higher traffic times or times that we need to be aware they'll be out there, particularly in the morning? Yeah, they are out moving. And that's some of the tips that we, um, you know, reinforce for the farmers that are out moving is, you know, whenever possible, avoid those high traffic times. Um, you know, right now it's back to school. Everyone's excited. There's, you know, the the kids are, are getting dropped off. There's school buses. So, you know, try and avoid that particular time in the morning. Uh, you know, if there's bad weather, if there's, if you know, driving at night, those are some of the cautions that we, you know, uh, work with farmers about. Just sort of avoid those times, um, you know, the rush hour, that sort of thing. Um, but generally, you'll see them, yeah, once once rush hour settles down, you'll start to see that uh, the, the equipment starting to move. When, when we see that bright orange triangle with a red border around it, we know, and maybe even some flashing amber lights around it, we know that it's going to be a bit slow going, right? Absolutely. And like you'd mentioned, that's like any emergency vehicle that you might see. There's lights flashing, there's, you know, something's being transported. Let's slow down, make sure that we're patient, make sure that everybody sees everybody uh, so we can all get home safe. Before we let you go, I want to talk to you about uh, Ag for Life's new safety initiative that you have going on. You've got a website, got a little bit of information you want to share on that. So um, we've got a rural safety trailer. We're quite excited about it because we had it out just prior to COVID. And of course, uh, with COVID, a lot of the programs got shut down. But our mobile um, safety unit actually travels to communities uh, and reinforces safety messages for youth. So it's delivered to school students, uh, it's delivered at fairs and festivals and community events. And it's designed to build awareness around the many hazards that one may encounter in and around farms. And large equipment is one of those topics. So we're open for school bookings now. So uh, communities can visit us at agricultureforlife.ca and have a look and see if that uh, makes sense to have uh, the uh, trailer visit the schools. Wonderful. Thank you for all you and the farmers out there do for us. We appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Stay safe. You too. Lurie Williams is the CEO at Ag for Life. And again, that website, agricultureforlife.ca.